will be having a new computer. Not that you all need to know this, but I'm chronicling it because I'm pissed. Um, I will hopefully have a new computer on Saturday, which means really nothing new for you guys, except I won't be wanting to throw this computer across because <laughs> Adobe's new update fucked up my audition. Oh, so no. Your audition. It's, it's broken. broken. <laughs> so anyway, that is no pertinence to this podcast other than my own sanity. Um, <laughs> which is important. It is important. Do I have the dream for you, Leah? It's jelly bean part two, y'all. Yes. I'm not very good like Leah at thinking of great cold open questions, but damn do my dreams <laughs> come up with good cold open stories. So this is the dream. I'm in a mall. It's kind of modeled after the mall called the Galleria in Middletown, New York, where I grew up. Um, but anyway, I'm in this mall. And there is Brian May. And Brian I love May. this dream already. <laughs> And Brian May is looking for people who have taken photography that he can build a collection of concert photos. Don't know why my dream's doing this. Let it be known. (laughs) But I was like, oh, shit, it's Brian May. And of course, you know, my head is like, I got to get him on the podcast. Like, that's all I'm thinking about. And then I show him some of the stretch photos I took. And we're just talking. And I said, hey, I know you probably need to talk to a manager and I'm really sorry about this, but I would really, really love to have you on. She will rock you. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, I do have to talk to a manager, but he said, let me do this. And he starts writing a note to us and he gives it to me. And I'm just like so elated and I'm driving home and I'm like, I cannot wait to tell Leah that Brian May wrote us a note. Like this is the highlight of our career of our podcast career and then i read it and it's signed by a gay a guy named wayne robertson and i'm like who the who fuck? the fuck is wayne robertson it's wayne robertson and it turns out it hits me in the dream wait that wasn't brian may it was a guy who looks like brian may wait he didn't have an english accent <laughs> that's important and that was the dream that's that's a great dream and a great opening it's not jelly bean level but no it's not jelly bean level but it's still a nice, funny story that my brain decided to make up for me one night. And with that said, I am Beth Ann. And I'm Leah. And this is She Will Rock You. Where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, hold up, before I haunt you, let me turn down the thermostat. This is bad. We're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is She Will Rock You. And I didn't pull up the reviews because we're on an iPad right now. This is a 2015 and your thing could do cooler things than mine. Yeah. Stupid. That's a third hand 2015 MacBook right there. the hell? I don't understand. She's a workhorse. I'm also thinking about getting an iPad just for Procreate. The iPad. To draw mm, up in meetings. Procreate. Life changing. Is this the Apple Pen? Yeah. Nice. Anyway. (laughs) Let me choose a review, and I'm going to choose at random. And my finger landed on Supernatural Keys, and it says, Total fun from start to finish. What more could you ask for in a podcast? It's fun and informative. I learned more about The Clash than I thought I knew, all while laughing at these two the entire time. Great fun. Loved it. I love I got a positive review out of the clash because let me tell you. Not all of them are positive. I also believe Leah is both the informative and fun and I'm just here. 
<laughs> so take it what you will but uh, you know interesting that you chose a clash review because we're staying in that scene today we are because a hundred punks we're talking about Billy fucking Idol. Did we tell that story about 100 Punks? We talked about we the did. bonus so episode. Go listen to our bonus episode. We talk about Billy Idol to hear the 100 Punks Billy story. Billy fucking Idol. I did not include it. Um, but also, welcome to another edition of How the Fuck Is This Man Still Alive? Yes! <laughs> My favorite series. <laughs> this is our favorite um Sub-series. Sub-series. It's not an official series, but now it is. I think I always end up doing because I choose the chaos. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you do own a black cat, so. This is true. I feel like chaos ensues. She is chaos. Um, So, Billy Idol was actually born William Michael Albert Broad. I don't blame him. I don't blame him for changing it. <laughs> November 30th, 1955. In Stanmore, Middlesex, England. Coincidentally, Middlesex, England is where my Nana was born, but she moved to the U.S. around that time. So curse my great grandparents for not staying there. But that's beside the point. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know your great grandparents came from across. Yeah. In like the 50s. What? They rode on a ship over here. So you're just a second generation American? Well, third. I I thought you were American. (laughs) Did you ever hear that? Do you know that video? I thought about that video literally this morning getting in the shower. I'm a lesbian. I thought thought you you were American. American. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway. Uh, But yeah, so my Nana came over here when she was like in third grade. That's cool. Um, But the point of putting that in there is I guess that everyone wanted to get the hell out of Middlesex because in 1958 when Billy was two, his parents moved to Patchogue, Patchogue, Patch something in New York. It's outside the city. It's not relevant. What Patchogue, Patchogue, P A T C H O G U E, Patchogue. I don't know. Apparently, it's a Staten Island know. suburb. I don't know. Um, Billy remembers his time in the U.S. Uh, his like early years in the U.S. as introducing him to his early musical influences, but also from the fact that his family was obsessed with the presidential election of JFK <laughs> running against Nixon. <laughs> He literally dedicates an entire chapter in his autobiography to talking about this because his family's Catholic. I don't know why I find this hilarious. I I love it. Clearly, it was important enough for me to include. Yes. Um, His mother actually bought records of JFK's campaign speeches. Oh, my gosh. They're like next level obsessed. They are, but they can't even vote in the election because they're not American citizens. They're just obsessive bystanders. (laughs) That's... That's very unfortunate for them. <laughs> so he grew up listening to records of JFK's campaign speeches, but also records of Broadway musicals, such as My Fair Lady, The Music Man, and Camelot. What an upbringing, man. <laughs> uh, actually, Richard Burton as King Arthur in Camelot influenced his speak singing style in his music. No way. Yes. I feel like also his family is like, we're fucking done with Britain. American. <laughs> like... All the American things. Yes, but no, because after they lived here for four years, they moved back. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, they were first America, America. And then they're like, go back, go back, go back. Uh, His dad moved around a lot. Uh, He's a salesman. So he basically went to whatever industry was selling. Oh, that makes sense. He moved back. I think he got a job selling tools of some kind. He started, I don't know. They moved back to the UK. Um, And they moved back to the UK. He's like eight nine seven eight nine um while he lived in the u.s 
he got made fun of for having a British accent, so he lost the accent. He has a Yankee accent, moves back to the UK. He's not quite British, not quite American, doesn't really fit in, gets bullied. Um, I forgot to write this down, but around this time, he has... He's had really bad eyesight his whole life. Mm-hmm. He gets glasses, and the people, the kids in his class, start calling him squinty-eyed git, <laughs> which is the most British insult I've ever heard. You know, you know, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> shout out to the UK because you got you take your insults to a whole other level that I can't even like fathom as an american my current favorite insult that my british friends use is cockwomble <laughs> it's like you know the country of shakespeare i expect nothing less than the greatest insults what do we have dr seuss we know we, <laughs> we have can't nothing build curse words <laughs> off dr seuss um so yeah so he feels very much like a fish out of water doesn't belong not yeah. british not american he ends up relearning his british accent to fit in better but it's still not quite a hundred percent like British enough. Yeah. He's got this like American inflection. Um, and none of this is helped by the British school system because Billy Idol is really fucking smart. He's always been extremely interested in history. Like as a kid in the U S he would do civil war reenactments with his little soldiers. And like, um, he's always just been super smart. Yeah. When he goes back to England, they stick him in remedial classes with the slow learners. and That's an insult. He took it as an insult. Yeah. He said he probably had undiagnosed ADD. And that's why they put him in there. But he hated it. And so he lost all motivation to try in school. Sure. Um, but he's always studied religion and history on his own. Like, those are his two passions. That's cool. Listening to him talk about in his book, um, he's he's so smart. Um there's there's nothing wrong with musicians who talk about music 100% of the time, but Billy's not one of those guys, especially yeah. in his book. Um, and it's it's really cool. That was really cool. I like that. Once w- he well-rounded. Yeah, not that, you know, someone who talks about music all the time is not well-rounded. No. It's just like you have other subjects that also fascinate you. It's very clear that he has other interests besides music. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. That being said, as a, teen, as a young middle schooler, U.S. equivalent... He does become very quickly obsessed with music. Mm-hmm. Um, so his parents enroll him in lessons. Violin lessons. Parents. It's like giving Jerry Garcia an accordion. Exactly. That's exactly. Billy hated the violin. He's like, I want to play the damn guitar. Get me the guitar lessons. And his parents were like, nope violin he was so scared that someone was going to find out in his class that he would walk an extra mile route to take the long way to his violin lessons so he wouldn't run in any of his classmates um and on top of that he would refuse to practice his parents eventually had to give in and let him stop because they weren't going to pay for lessons if he wasn't practicing yeah and he ended up saving up his pocket money to buy a cheap five pound guitar because even though his parents dropped a load of money on a violin, they refused to buy him a guitar that he actually wanted to play. Why? Because they wanted him to play the violin. Because hmm. they're a good Catholic family that doesn't believe in this <laughs> rock they and roll bullshit. They are a good JFK yes. believing Catholic family. We play violin and Schubert in this exactly. household. And Camelot, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> Sorry, that, that delayed. That delayed for me. <laughs> So then this all gets like the fire of him loving music gets fueled by the Beatles popping onto the scene, Mm -hmm. which 
Apparently, as we've talked about before, being in England at this time is hella depressing because there's nothing to do. Yeah. And everything sucks and everything's gray and all the factors are closing down. Um, to quote Billy in this, the VH1 behind the music special, it was going to take something extraordinary to drag you out of this depressed world. A world where really old people ran everything. Fuck them. Fuck old people. <laughs> <laughs> fuck old people the silly bastards Damn. they were so down on everything and all we wanted to do was enjoy everything <laughs> Billy Idol I love like, hearing that man speak <laughs> the things he just says whether you agree with him or not it's just like say fuck, it again Billy <laughs> fuck old people fuck old that's people. an actual quote that he said <laughs> um <laughs> alright go on by the age of 10 he was already living the rock star life he got kicked out of the Boy Scouts for making out with a girl. <laughs> you know, that that's a true punk right there. <laughs> Which made his mother cry. <laughs> Ways to make your mom cry. Buy a guitar. Check. Make out with a girl. Check. Get kicked out of Boy Scouts. Check. Um, he, he did say he felt bad about it, but like the damage was done. He was yeah. not. He said, I learned all I needed to learn. I was good. Not going back. At age 14, the family moves yet again, but this time they move closer to London to a suburb called Bromley. And this is where Billy meets kids in the London punk scene. Here it goes. He hangs out with them. He learns the scene. Um, In October of 1975, he goes to the University of Sussex to pursue an English degree. Like I said, man's hella smart. Yeah. And he lives on campus, but he leaves after one year because he... Learns about a little band called the Sex Pistols. Uh-huh. And becomes a mega fan and follows them to, like, every gig that they do. This does not surprise me because there was, like, a bunch of people. Well, we talked about this on the Clash episode. Like, the Sex Pistols fan base is intense. Yes. Like, pretty much he would wake up in the morning go deliver tools for his dad's tool sales business in this pickup truck. Then he'd go pick up all his friends in the pickup truck and they drive to wherever the Sex Pistols are playing that night, like wherever it is over the entire country, drive back the same night and then he'd go back to work the next morning. Like homeboy literally was not sleeping. Yeah. Drugs were involved. Well, of course. Random thing. His dad's business was called Liver Tools. No, he would deliver tools. Oh, I heard the tools were co- the company no. was called Liver Tools, <laughs> like Liverpool, and I was like, wait a second. No, that would be great. We need to discuss that. No, we need to unpack it for. I a don't second. know what it was called. It's we're not gonna say relevant. Liver Tools. Um. So, like you said, they spend he spends a lot of time following the Sex Pistols, but also hanging out with the guys in the Clash. Yeah. Just all the bands that are up and coming in I the bet. scene at the time. He also spent a lot of time in gay and lesbian bars. Studying the fashion of the scene. Good for him. And just hanging out with cool people. I love it. Um, And he's trying to figure out what he wanted to do with his life. Like, he knew he wanted to do music, but n- nothing was, like, clicking yet. Like, he didn't have a band. He didn't want to be solo. It was just... Yeah. Just, he's just vibing at this point. Um, And he starts to hang out with... In these clubs, he meets some really cool people... And became very, very close with Susie Sue and was like this close to being in the Banshees. She asked him to be in the Banshees and he's like, no, like, I'm not quite ready for that yet. Like, I'm going to go find my own band. And she's like, okay. Um, Listening to him talk in his book about this time period in England actually made me love Cruella, the movie, that much more. 
Because it is like dead on for the fashion sense, the pop up like ragers in the park. Right. Um, they're wearing. This is my, my next point in the outline is so he follows the Sex Pistols to their first ever show outside of England, which is in Paris. Um, and he and his friends like get in that in that pick tool pickup truck and they drive mm. across the channel. They get there and the French can be a little snobby when it comes to fashion. Right. And they show up to this out this. Sure, the show like all the Frenchers wearing like t-shirts and jeans basically like yeah they're just chilling Billy and his friends Susie and the gang show up in homemade distressed bleach torn t-shirts bondage wear Ooh. and leather pants and Ooh. get ridiculed by the French oh I bet the French held nothing back no but they were like you know what he's like it was a fucking good time and I don't fucking care <laughs> those are probably direct quotes I love him so much, man. <laughs> he cracks me up. So by late 1976, he finally decides, like, let's join a band. Let's get this going. So he joins a band called Chelsea as the guitarist. So at the time, it, the band Chelsea was fronted by a guy named Gene October, which, terrible name, um, who starts styling. He's still going by William Broad at this point. Mm-hmm. He's like, you need to ditch your glasses because he has terrible eyesight. Get contact lenses. You need to cut your hair because he had the long punk hair going. He's like, you need to go for a, a 1950s rocker look. Hmm. And so Billy goes with it for a while. He's not quite vibing with Chelsea. And There's Jean. also not a lot of bondage wear no. in 1950s no. that I'm aware of. So that doesn't quite vibe. And Billy ends up leaving Chelsea with Tony James, who at who was the band's bassist. So the bassist and the guitarist leave Chelsea to start their own band. Mm-hmm. They co-found a band they named Generation X, and they decide that Billy has to be the front man because he's too charismatic to be stuck behind the guitar. He has to be the front man. And this is when he starts going by the name Billy Idol. And he chose this name because, remember, he got stuck in the remedial classes mm-hmm. in school. And he got a report one time in chemistry that his teacher wrote in all caps, William is very idle, I-D-L-E. And so he was going to go by Billy Idol. And he's like, no, no, no. It has to be, I have to be a rock idol. So he changed to oh, I-D-O-L. He's, he flipped the script. He flipped the script. Um but honestly, I don't blame him for being idle in chemistry class because you could not pay me to take a chemistry class again. But that's beside the point. Uh, also around this time, his signature bleach blonde hair started. So a friend of his was going to dye his hair black and blue, which, ew. Yeah, um, combo. But she didn't bring the right stuff, so they had to stop after the bleach step. And they were going to be... Like, he went to rehearsal the next day and was going to go meet up with her to finish the job. Mm -hmm. But he walks into rehearsal. The band was so shocked by his bleach hair that they got angry about it. And him being the punk that he was was like, then fuck it. I'm leaving it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Man. And it's been that way for 50 years now. (laughs) What a grudge. What a grudge, man. Many different hairstyles throughout the years but has always been bleach <laughs> platinum blonde i love that so much which i respect <laughs> uh, so generation x takes off fairly quickly they actually end up being one of the first punk bands to ever appear on top of the pops which oh, nice. is cool for them um 
And Generation X is is different from the Clash and the Pistols. The right. Clash and the Pistols are like we're not like Elvis or the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. Like we're a different breed. But Generation X was at least honest. They're like, yeah, we listen to those guys. Right. We're not too cool. Like we're just here to bring you guys some music. Like we're not gonna be pretentious dicks about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also didn't try to take a political stance. Like, one way or the other. Their stance was kind of just like, growing up fucking sucks. Everything sucks. We're all unhappy. Yeah. So let's just commiserate together. And that probably worked out in the long run better. It did. Because, like we talked about in The Clash, they all were like, yeah, we're for anarchy. What kind of anarchy? I don't know. Let's just use (laughs) old Nazi terms. and Just anarchy? You know, just try to turn them into a new meeting. And that does not work that does not age well so he made the right choice they focused on more of like the collective experience of growing up in post-war england yeah everything just being sad all the time um but when as they get a little bit later into their career they get inspired by things such as love and heartbreak which the clash wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole yeah but because of this they're one of the only punk bands like ever to have a female audience ah it also didn't hurt that Billy was hot. Yeah. But um, let's be honest. I can't tell you what any of the Clash look like. They all look the same. Yeah. Like they're not, not standing out. But Billy attracted a female audience, um, which works to their favor because a they had no trouble picking up women when they wanted to date women. Sure. But also it boosted their music sales because that's half the audience right there. Right. The Clash isn't selling records to women. No. Billy's selling records to women or Generation X's. Um, also, story that I meant to put in here and forgot. It was a thing. This is really gross, especially considering COVID times. It was a thing in the punk scene in the 70s to where the audience would spit onto the lead singer as like a, an anarchy punk thing. It started with... Like the scene from a, from my big fat Greek wedding y- where the grandmother takes the son and goes... Like, that's a very Greek thing, I think. It started because, I forget which band it was. It wasn't The Clash or The Sex Pistols. It was something else. The guy was, like, literally clearing his throat. You know how some singers will go, just spit on the stage? Well, he did that, but it kind of, like, went off the stage onto the front row. Oh, and they went So the front row reciprocated and just started hawking loogies at the front singer. Oh, then it became a thing. And, like, that's fucking unsanitary. Yeah. But Billy tells a story of one night, like bloody tuberculosis oh, spit geez. ends up on and they were like guys we, we gotta stop this like please don't spit on stage anymore yeah he's like i've never been so happy that when we went to the u.s like no one did that because it never was a thing over here and i'm like we got something right for once guys <laughs> yeah i'm not a i'm not personally a no, fan it was, of spitting it was meningitis not tuberculosis but still but still still Ugh. yeah yeah um not a sanitary scene no they, in 1979, they have a single, King Rocker. It actually goes up to the UK top 20, mostly thanks to the female audience boosting the sales. Hmm, fangirls, once again. Yeah, it's like we actually have influencing power. Who knew? Around this time, Billy actually meets his girlfriend for the next, where are we at? At least 10 years, so she's important to this story. Her name's Perry Lister, and at the time... She's working as a dancer in the troupe called Hot Gossip. Hmm. Don't like the name of the troupe, but whatever. And the two hit it off. 
sex, drugs, and rock and roll style. But he, despite having a very typical rock and roll relationship, he's head over heels in love with her. Like, I think he still loves her. Spoiler, things don't ultimately work out. Like, they're not still together. Mm -hmm. But they're together for a very long time. And she stays with him through some very rough patches in his life. Um, So as he's starting this relationship with Perry, Generation X is starting to crumble. They start fighting. They're like, well, we'll fix this. Let's hire new management. Mm-hmm. So they hire Bill Aucoin, former manager of Kiss. We've oh, talked okay. about him before. Yeah. And he's tasked with reinventing the band. They hire a new producer for the next album with the goal of making it more danceable. They've kind of accepted that punk is over by this point. This We're getting ready to break into the 80s. Like, mm-hmm. punk scene's dead. Um, they want to make a dance track. Billy writes Dancing With Myself. The producer produces it, and it is a flop. It does not do well at all. Um, at the time, they're on Chrysalis Records. Chrysalis drops Generation X, but decides to keep Billy on as a solo artist because yeah. they see potential in him. Yeah. And the song, potentially, if it's released correctly. So with Generation X gone and out of the picture, Billy and Perry move to New York City in 1981 with Bill Alcoin. And Billy falls head over heels in love with New York City because the punk scene is still alive. Yeah. There. He's they spent he and Perry spend every single night at clubs like CBGB's, Max's Kansas City. Mm-hmm. They party for a solid 6 months before they figure out what the hell he's going to do for the next step in his career. Yeah. Um he's feeling kind of hopeless. He's just, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll on it every night at a different club in New York City. Gets a little old after a while. So he's, yeah, he gets, he gets old. But then one night, he wanders into a club, and they're playing a 20-minute version of Dancing With Myself. And the club is going fucking nuts over this song. And this gives him the confidence boost that he needs in his Good life. Good for him. Yes. Um... And so he's like, well, we got it. We got to like capitalize on this if New York City's loving it. And so he starts to assemble a band. And management gets him in contact with Steve Stevens. Steve! Our boy Steve Stevens. Um, and Steve plays very much a glam rock guitar style, which balances really well with Billy's like attitude. Yeah. Um, great description. And so they get bassist Phil Fight. And drummer Greg Gerson, and they start to work on Billy's solo record, Don't Stop, in 1981, which includes a re-record of Dancing With Myself and a cover of Tommy James and the Shondells song, Moni Moni. Mm-hmm. Now, you may be wondering, why the hell did Billy Idol cover this song on his debut self-titled record? Well, it's because he has always felt a special connection with this song. Because when he lost his virginity, it was playing on the radio in the oh distance. <laughs> That's funny. You're welcome. Uh, he releases his debut album, self-titled Billy Idol, in July 1982. Um, and then Chrysalis Records has the tough task of selling America on a 27-year-old British wild child because... 
he's still partying like nonstop at this yeah. point. But they have a new tool in their toolbox. MTV. MTV. Yeah. Uh, at this time, there's a second British invasion happening, mostly through MTV. And this is 1982. Like MTV is new, new, new. Yeah. And Billy's apartment was like two blocks away from MTV studios. And so somehow management worked out that he could just like pop down there and just fill in whenever I needed like guest host on something or he would do that's these like smart. He would do these like filler commercials where it's like, I'm Billy Idol and you are watching MTV. That's and he had super smart. He exploded on that's MTV. That's wild. So literally like, cause I always imagine like, you know, and here comes Billy Idol on TV and it's like, no, like he literally was just hosting. Yeah. He's just, just there. there all the time because it's two blocks from his apartment and so that's amazing someone at chrysalis saw an opportunity and i'm sure uh, this is just me speculating i'm sure they were having trouble filling spots especially very early on because yeah. it's such a new thing and no one knew what it was going to do to the industry but right he got in there right at the face time and actually pretty much became the face of mtv for a while right uh his videos for white wedding and dancing with myself became like constantly in the rotation he releases his second lp rebel yell in 1983 because this is the 80s mm-hmm. we're not taking any downtime between records what are no, you talking about not at all. and this really like solidified billy as a superstar in the u.s this include this album includes rebel yell eyes without a face flesh for fantasy um eyes without a face peaks at number four in the u.s rebel yell reaches number six uh, when they started touring this album, they were barely selling out small clubs in New York City. But when they finished touring this album, they mm-hmm. were playing sold-out stadiums. Wow. Which is crazy. That is crazy. Um, and like I mentioned, when they were in the UK, Billy is an attractive man. Mm-hmm. The ladies love him, which pisses Perry off. Because they'll be at dinner trying to enjoy a nice, quiet meal as a couple. Right. And girls would wash, wa- run over to their table, crowd around, and ask Billy to sign their boobs. You know, nothing really gets a great dinner than someone coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Can you sign my boob? Can you sign my boob? I don't really care if it's a left or right. Um. So this, it, it doesn't hurt their relationship because Billy's a dan and Billy, Perry's a dancer and a model. Like she just knows this is how the scene is yeah but it doesn't help the relationship either management when they signed him to be solo wanted him to be the bad boy of rock and roll so he goes and he delivers he is doing drugs he's drinking he's partying he almost dies once or twice or three times jeez depending on which interview you watch and what he says in that interview and then at this point bill O'Coin decides Let's make a movie about Billy's life. No. I mean, yes, but no. So they spend a year. They they move everyone to Hollywood. Perry and Billy pack up and move out there. Um, they spend a year in Hollywood trying to make this happen. But to quote the VH1 documentary, Billy spent more time doing lines than reading them. Yeah. And so... Billy fires Bill because he felt like this movie was distracting him from making music, which it probably was. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, it is what it is. 
movie doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. But they decide to stay in Hollywood. They wanted a break. They'd been partying for like six years straight in New York City. Mm-hmm. And Perry was like, I just wanted to be awake in the daytime. <laughs> yeah. And so they, okay. they stay out there. In 1985, he goes into the studio to work on his third album, which would eventually be released in 1986. They call it Whiplash Smile. Uh, This album is slated to come out two years after Rebel Yell, and Billy's really worried that his fans will will have forgotten about him in his hiatus, which is so funny nowadays, because two years is like the normal album cycle. Right. But whatever. The lead single, or I don't know if it's lead single, but the single from that album, To Be a Lover, go ends up going top 10. So he had no reason to be s- afraid that yeah. they forgot about him and actually earned him a Grammy nomination. Oh, good for him. For best rock vocal. However, a few weeks before his Grammy appearance, he was arrested on drug charges with a model friend of his. That's not Perry. Ooh. Her name is Grace Hattersley. Um, and needless to say, this did not make Perry happy because all the headlines are reporting Billy Idol arrested with girlfriend. And she's yeah. like, she's not his fucking girlfriend. Yeah. So she pulls the ultimate power move. Perry does. Yeah. And holds a press conference. Okay. Just to tell the press, I'm Billy Idol's girlfriend. I have been for seven years. Damn. That's it. That's the press conference. Damn. Good for her. Set the record straight. Which I respect. Uh, They stay together, though. Like, she doesn't dump him. Yeah. At this point, though, Steve does dump him and leaves the band to go start a solo career. Steve Stevens? Steve Stevens. Huh. He he comes back. Yeah. Um, But he leaves to go start a solo career. And Billy and Perry do what any logical couple does to stay together. They have a baby. Oh. So... I, I don't know if I have this out of order or if I wrote... I don't know, but... It's, I wrote here that they moved to L.A., but I think they're already living in L.A. But to celebrate the move to L.A., Billy buys himself a Harley because he decides he's going to take a break from getting high on drugs and wants to just get high on life. So buy the Harley. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. You know, you got to find something instead of drugs. Also, this Harley is relevant to the story overall. But pin that for later. Um, so in June 1988, their son Willem Wolf Broad is born. Hmm. That's Willem like Willem Dafoe, not Willem like William Willem, Broad. Willem like the drag queen. Yes. Gotcha. Uh, but when this baby is a month old, Billy fucks up yet again. What do you do? So he tells Perry, Perry's laying out by the pool you know, Hollywood stuff. Yeah. And he tells Perry he's going to go inside and call the boys to go for a ride on the Harley because he wants to just go blow off some steam. So he goes in the baby's room and makes the call. Well, turns out he forgets the baby monitors are on in the <gasps> baby room and calls another girl. And Perry hears the whole thing. Huck, you idiot. <laughs> yes. You idiot. Yes. Like, first off, she just had a baby for you. Yes. You fucking ungrateful. I've turned on him. You fucking (laughs) ungrateful piece of shit. And then you're going to go talk to another girl? Yes. No. So he walks out and Perry is just like, he said she's she's fuming. She's steaming. 
And she's like, oh, babe, you're going to go meet her at whatever place they said they're going to meet. And he's like, how the fuck did you hear all that? And she just holds up the baby monitor and he's like, shit. So uh, Perry leaves with the baby. Yeah. Rightfully so. I don't blame her. They do eventually make up and she moves back in. And she says in the, in the documentary, she always knew there were other women and she didn't really mind as long as she didn't, it wasn't happening in her house in front of her face. So to prevent yeah. this from happening again, Billy buys a second house for his affairs. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, that's one way to do it. Maybe you could just not have a fucking affair. To each their own. Yeah, true. She seemed fine with it as long as she wasn't, it wasn't in front of her face. Which okay, whatever. fair enough. Um, so he starts to record his fourth album and things get bad again. You know, if, as if they weren't already kind of bad because he, he kind of fucked up. So they were recording this album and they start out with the rule. We're only going to party on Friday nights. Well, then that quickly becomes we're going to party on Thursday and Friday night. Mm-hmm. And then it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night. And then soon it's a 24 seven party in the studio and no one's making any music. Yeah. And Perry, this, this is the final straw for Perry. She decides this is not a great environment to raise a child in, which it's probably Absolutely not. Absolutely fair, yeah. And so she makes the decision to leave Billy at this point and moves out on her own, which doesn't do wonders for Billy's mental state. But, you know, he survives. On February 6th, 1990, this, we're in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. They finally wrapped this fourth album. It took like two years to record because they wouldn't stop fucking doing drugs. Yeah. Um, the album's called Charmed Life. And on the last day of recording, like they're putting the finished touches on. Everyone stays at the studio to party. But Billy was like, I'm, I'm done partying. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go to sleep. He gets home. He starts taking sleeping pills. They don't put him to sleep. Uh-oh. So he thinks... Well, fuck it. I'm going to go back to the studio to hear the finished album because he's getting antsy and wants to start like tweaking with it. So he gets on his motorbike and drives to the studio. On the way there, he runs a stop sign and is hit dead on by a car. Jeez. Um, Side note, he's not wearing a helmet during (gasps) this interaction because at the time in California, it was not the law and he liked to feel the wind in his hair. Holy cow. About the when he how did he survive that? I don't actually fucking know. I don't think anyone fucking knows. He he says I just remember hearing a bang. If you hear the bang, you're still alive. If you don't hear the bang, you're dead. He heard the bang. Uh, he remembers. This is how his book actually opens up with this incident. He remembers. He tried to get up and he couldn't get up. And someone came over and was like, "Hey, are you okay?" And he just goes, "Obviously, I'm fucking not." His leg's broken in three places. He has to be rushed to the hospital. They put a steel rod in it. Um, it takes, like, months to fully heal. He has to have, I think it ended up being seven surgeries. Jeez. There was a point where they thought that he was going to lose his leg, that he'd never walk again, that he he came close to dying because he lost so much blood. Like, it was a really fucking bad accident. Yeah. And he very easily could have died. Yeah. Which is why I think he might be the winner of... How the fuck is this man not dead? Right. Um, this Things were, were going decently well for him career-wise before this incident. Uh, right before this, he had gotten cast by Oliver Stone in his film About the Doors. He like had a major role. Um, I think he was actually maybe supposed to play Jim Morrison. I don't know exactly mm-hmm. what role. But obviously, when your leg is broken, broken in three, in three places, places yeah. you can't be the lead in a movie for a very long time. 
And so they ended up switching him out and he just played Jim Morrison's drinking pal in the movie. Mm-hmm. So he's like in one scene. And he was actually James Cameron's first choice for the villain in Terminator 2 Judgment Day. But they had to recast that entirely because he couldn't be in that movie. Right. But while injured, he did end up filming the video for Cradle of Love, which they did by propping him up and only filming up his, his torso up. But when you watch the video, you can't tell at all, which That's is totally crazy. cool. That is cool. But somehow, miraculously, he recovered enough to go on tour that summer. Like, wow. I don't think he was doing his jumping off the box moves, but... right. It also Still. makes it more impressive now watching him move on stage. Right. Knowing he has a steel rod in his leg. That is pretty crazy. At, I think he's 65 now. Yeah. Um. So this tour takes him to Bangkok, Thailand, where he gets himself in trouble again. Mm-hmm. He holds himself up in a penthouse for three weeks partying. The, the, the documentary just said $140,000 in damages later. I don't know if that's Jeez. extra damages or how much the suite. I imagine that's not how much the suite cost for three weeks, but yeah, I don't know what that means. And there was no context in the doc to tell me. So $140,000 in damages later, he refuses to give up the suite to a visiting foreign dignitary. What is he just going to keep it? He's holding hostage? Yes. So the Thai army has to show up <laughs> and tie him down to a stretcher. <laughs> And uh, escort him out of the country. <laughs> never, <laughs> never in the history of this podcast have we heard a story about a celebrity ho- taking a hotel room hostage <laughs> and having an army have to bring him up. Billy Idol is the first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually shocked we have not heard this yet. And me too, honestly. That's, that's a Motley Crue shit. You know, you think... They would have called an army on Ozzy Osbourne, but surprisingly, Billy Idol. Billy Idol. Uh, So that's... (laughs) Sorry. No, you're good. That's hilarious. So that's in 1990. Okay. Nothing major happens for three years. I think he lays relatively low. I mean, you kind of have to when you're escorted out of a country. Uh, In 1993, he releases his album called Cyberpunk, which is extremely experimental and... I love, keep in mind, this is 1993. Uh-huh. This album was recorded in a home studio using a Macintosh computer. Yes. He used Studio Vision and Pro Tools to record the whole album. I love it. <laughs> Took 10 months to make. Um, it did pretty well in the UK and Europe, but did not do well in the US. That's a problem. Um, if you look at the videos and like images from this, this time period, he leans very hard into the cyberpunk image. And looks like something out of Terminator. He's got like this like Jeez. one eye piece in one of the videos. Um, that's all there is to say about Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk 2077. Cyberpunk 1993. In 1994, he almost dies yet again. Which is not funny, but it is kind of funny at this point. Um, he actually passes out outside of an LA nightclub uh, due to an overdose of the drug GHB. Okay. Which at the time was legal. And was very popular with weightlifters because it supposedly helped you recover. Um, but Billy said it basically puts you in a, in a three-hour coma. Like, you did not know what was happening to you. Jeez. It was it was super dangerous. It's not legal anymore, Yeah, obviously. But at the time, it was. Um, but after this incident, when he wakes up in the hospital, he's like, my children will never forgive me if I die of a drug overdose. 
At this time, Willem is six. So, like, he would definitely remember if his dad died of a drug overdose. Right. And um, as of, of, of a 2014 interview, he has not taken any hard drugs since. Wow. But he does smoke marijuana. Oh. And yeah. does drink. But, you know, good for him. That's that's awesome. In 1998, Billy made a cameo appearance as himself in The Wedding Singer with Adam Sandler. <laughs> so there's our Adam Sandler there's connection our from last week. Um, and that movie features White Wedding on its soundtrack. Adam Sandler is randomly in the VH1 special, but he's at the beginning and they don't give you any context as to why... Adam oh, Sandler. Oh, you texted me about that. Yeah, I finally finished it because it takes me forever to watch them because I have yeah. to take notes. And then they get to the wedding singer part and they interview Adam Sandler about it. And he's like, yeah, someone thought it'd be a good idea to have Billy Idol, who is like one of my childhood idols in this movie where we just make fun of my love life. He's like, it was cool. <laughs> I loved it. They played guitar together in their trailers oh, between takes. That's cool. Which is cute. Obviously, this movie was huge. Um, and for the first time in a very long time, Billy was in the headlines for something other than almost dying. Right. Character development. In 2000, he and Steve Stevens reunited for their first tour together in 13 years. Aww. Billy actually brought Willem on this tour with him. And Steve talks about how every time they would go to a hotel, Billy would have to ask for a rollout bed for Willem. And Steve was like, damn. This is different than the last time we toured together Oof. when they're like doing lines of coke every right. single night and not sleeping. And now they're like, we got to put the, the child to bed. Oh, good. He's learning. He's learning. He's responsibility. learning. Uh, in <laughs> I forgot I put this in here. So in 2002 at the National Rugby League Grand Final in Sydney, Billy entered the playing field for the halftime show and he enters on a hovercraft the intro of white wedding <laughs> he literally gets two words out and the entire stadium goes into a power failure and he couldn't finish through because he had to have a hoverboard i don't know if that's what caused it or what but i just thought it was hilarious that is funny in 2018 billy became a u.s citizen at a ceremony in la he does still retain his british citizenship so he has a dual citizenship because you know, I will mention Miley whenever she appears in an sure. Atlanta in an outline. Billy Idol is featured as a guest vocalist on the song Nightcrawling from her 2020 album Plastic Hearts. Mm -hmm. And Miley does an amazing cover of Rebel Yell. Look it up. I'll link it in the show notes because it yes. is Chef's Kiss. Um, and I know we talked about Willem a lot, but Billy actually has a daughter from another relationship. Her name is Bonnie Blue. Aww. And in 2020, Bonnie gave birth to his first grandchild, whose name is Poppy Rebel. Oh, like Rebel Yell. Oh, that's so cute. And he is the most adorable grandpa and posts her on his Instagram a lot. And I need to show you this photo. Billy Idol granddaughter. That's so cute. Like, not that one. This one. No, that's a YouTube link. I don't want the YouTube link. Can I make that bigger? That picture. Oh my god. They're so cute together. He loves her. He does. Oh, that's adorable. That he even makes her tiny, like baby sized Billy Idol merch. That's cute. I'm glad he he grew up. Yes. And 
was able to see his grandchildren grow up. Oh, stop Look it. at Grandpa Billy. Oh, he's so happy. But that's Billy Idol. That's good. He um, almost died several times. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to die several times a day, so you know. <laughs> Thank you for listening. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods. Special thanks to Death and Fawn for our intro riff. You can visit our website at chiwarockyou.com. There you'll find our social, our show notes, our contact information, and our merch. Are you thinking about getting gifts for the family this year? May I interest you in a She Will Rock You beer mug for grandma? May I interest you in a pullover sweater for your five-year-old? May I interest you in just a sticker for your mom? You can find it all at shewarocku.com. Other than that, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Don't ride a motorcycle without a helmet. Don't take body lifting drugs, whether they're legal or not. Just don't. Don't do any of those. <laughs>